We continue with the sermon series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. This, I think, is number 60, if the numbering, if I've kept the numbering correct. And we are uh, at the conclusion of chapter 15, nearing the conclusion of the letter. <clears throat> Scripture reading this morning uh, begins in verse 14 of chapter 15 to the conclusion of that chapter. Let us ask the Lord's blessing. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for that great grace by which we are justified through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you put forward as a propitiation by his blood that we might not suffer the wages of sin, which is death, but receive that free gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So open our minds and open our hearts and help us to receive your word and to believe what you say and live lives of joyful, obedient faith in response to the glory of your name. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. And this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings." When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. 
I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever, and to his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Many of us here today, perhaps most of us, including myself, have lived long enough to know what it's like not to have things go exactly as we had planned. I'm not referring to the little inconveniences of everyday life. I'm referring to what we would consider the big things, big hopes, big dreams, big plans, what we might call our life vision, expectations of how our life would unfold. I'm referring to good and honorable and seemingly God-pleasing desires and plans for our life, but for some reason, they just didn't come to pass. It just didn't work out the way we thought it was going to. It was as though an invisible hand intervened and and this door was closed and this road was blocked and an unexpected wind blew in a certain direction and we found ourselves in a place we never expected to be. It wasn't what we had planned or expected, but it was or is the reality in the story of our lives. Hold that thought. Just hold that thought. As we approach the conclusion to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, we now come to the parts of the letter which allow us to get a glimpse of the man himself. These concluding passages convey something of the Apostle Paul's personal thoughts and feelings about his own ministry and his relationships with fellow Christians and his, and his plans and his intentions as he hoped and thought that they would unfold. These are the kinds of passages which, unfortunately and wrongly, we might tend to speed read and fly over as though they have not much to say to us today. After all, there's no deep doctrinal instruction here at least not explicitly on the surface. There there are no ethical exhortations, and there doesn't appear to be much that is immediately applicable to our personal spiritual life. Well, let's take another look. In the first section of this passage, Paul writes about his apostolic ministry through the grace of, given to him by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. 
He tells the Christians in Rome that it is his calling, his commission, his ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, but to those who have never heard the gospel. Paul sums up his calling as the apostle to the Gentiles by quoting from Isaiah 52, 15, which says, Those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, was called by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ where it had never been preached. And Paul wanted the Christians in Rome to know that this, that he was called to preach the gospel where the gospel had never been preached, this was the reason that he had never come to Rome. Verse 22, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. I've had all this work to do, preaching the gospel where Christ has never been preached. But now, Paul was making plans to come to Rome. A visit to the church in Rome now fit within the scope of his missionary calling and his missionary plans. Verses 23-24. I hope you'll be following along. Since I have longed to, for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, if you've got a highlighter or a pencil, just highlight or underline that little phrase in verse 24. I hope to see you in passing. As I go to Spain. We're going to come back to that. That's a little sentence which we would ordinarily just fly by. But but for now, just note that Paul was letting them know about his upcoming plans and how a visit to Rome fit into them. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Okay, now here we go. Paul wrote this letter to the Romans from Corinth in Greece. He planned to come visit the Christians in Rome on his way to Spain. Spain was on the western boundary of the Roman Empire. And the gospel had not yet been preached there. So Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, whose calling was to preach the gospel where it had never been preached, hoped to take planned to take the gospel to Spain. And he hoped that the Christians in Rome would help him by means of financial support and prayers to carry out this mission. Now this is the same thing that our global missionaries do today. They come, they visit us to renew personal relationships with us. They report on the work that they are doing. They request our continued prayers and financial support for their future missionary work. And they tell us about their future plans. This is exactly what Paul was doing. And he was preparing the Christians in Rome for his visit on his way to Spain. But then Paul adds this note, verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Now, Paul is referring to the Jewish believers in Christ in Jerusalem, ethnic Jews who believe in Jesus as the Messiah of Israel in Jerusalem. 
and who were therefore suffering persecution from the established Jewish power structure in Jerusalem at that time. And as a result, they were impoverished. And so throughout his missionary journeys, Paul had been taking up a collection for the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And you can read about this in some of Paul's other letters, most especially his second letter to the Corinthians, particularly chapters 8 and 9. Now, all of those well-known stewardship verses, you know those stewardship season verses, um, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you, by His poverty, might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 9. And perhaps the most well-known stewardship verse, God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Now all of these familiar stewardship verses, I'm, 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 I'm referring to them as such only to give you a frame of reference, okay? Um, but there are a lot found in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. In their historical context, this was part of Paul's appeal for the collection of financial gifts which Paul was planning to take to Jerusalem for the aid of the poor Jewish Christians there. And so, Paul tells the Christians in Rome, When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for, you, I will, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Now, now you see, you've got to keep this in mind. Paul has the advance of the gospel in mind. He has his apostolic calling to preach the gospel where it has never been preached in view. His goal is Spain. So remember verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Paul's plans from Corinth to Jerusalem, deliver the financial gift to the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, go from Jerusalem to Rome, enjoy a brief time of fellowship with the Christians in Rome, and go from Rome to Spain, the outer limits of the Roman Empire, to preach the gospel where it has never been preached. Sounds like a plan. And so Paul says... I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And then he asked them to pray for him, that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. That is, the, Jeru the Jewish leadership, power, structure in and around Jerusalem, which was at that time persecuting Christians. And that the poor Jewish Christians there would accept the financial gift in a spirit of unity and not, not be offended by what might be uh, thought of as a condescending act. You know, a real spirit of unity. Receive it in the spirit in which it's intended. So Paul had his plans from Corinth to Jerusalem to Rome to Spain. Many of us here today 
perhaps most of us, including myself, have lived long enough to know what it's like not to have things go exactly as we had planned. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul himself, knew what that was like. What happened? Well, from the book of Acts, we learn that Paul made it to Jerusalem and delivered the financial gift. But remember, verse 31, Paul asked the Christians in Rome to pray that the financial gift would be received well by the poor believers in Jerusalem and not looked at as a at askance or with offense by them, and they did indeed receive it. But while in Jerusalem, this is Acts chapter 21, Paul was accosted by a mob stirred up by the Jewish leaders, the unbelievers in Judea, who dragged Paul out of the temple and were intending to beat him to death. Now remember verse 31. Paul asked the Christians in Rome to pray that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, Jerusalem. And he was. He was delivered from them uh, because a Roman commander put a stop to the riot just in time. But he arrested Paul for being a troublemaker. Paul explained who he was. The Roman commander gave him permission to speak again. And so Paul gave his personal testimony. He preached Christ to that crowd of unbelievers. He preached the gospel in Jerusalem. Well, this only incited them to more outrage. And so the Roman commander ordered that Paul should be, quote, examined by flogging, Acts 22. In other words, they were going to torture some kind of confession out of him. Remember the prayer that I will be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. So just as they had stretched him out on the rack to be flogged and flayed by the Roman scourge, Paul informed the Roman commander that he was a citizen of Rome, which got that commander's attention. He was spared from the whip, but he was kept in prison. And then Acts 23 Verse 11 tells us that the following night the Lord stood by Paul and said to him, the Lord stood by Paul and said to him, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. In other words, the Lord reassured and promised Paul that he would indeed make it to Rome. Good. But, The Jewish high council, the supreme court of the Jewish power structure, continued to bring charges against Paul and, in fact, plotted his death. And the conspiratorial plot was leaked to the Roman commander who then, in order to protect Paul, a Roman citizen, ordered his soldiers to take Paul safely and secretly by night to Caesarea, a city on the northwest coast of Israel on the Mediterranean. Again, Paul was delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. His case now fell into the hands of the Roman governor of the region, Felix. But Felix was a rather indecisive sort of governor. And the book of Acts tells us that Paul, remember, on his way now from Jerusalem to Rome to Spain, 
Paul spent more than two years in that prison in Caesarea. I hope to see you in passing on my way to Spain. I will leave for Spain by way of you. He was stuck as a political prisoner for more than two years in Caesarea. That wasn't part of the plan. That wasn't part of Paul's plan. But God's plan was to keep him imprisoned in Caesarea for more than two years. Who knows why? So that he could preach the gospel to Governor Felix and to the next Governor Festus and to the puppet Jewish king Agrippa. Why two years? We don't know. Paul didn't know. Okay, let's see now. From Corinth to Jerusalem to Rome to Spain, where did these two years in prison in Caesarea come from? From God. That's where. We've been praying for Andrew Brunson for coming on now two years. God has not yet released him from prison. We don't know why. It doesn't mean that God isn't God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't hear our prayers. It doesn't mean that God is not in control. It just means that God has his plans for Andrew Brunson just as God had his plans for the Apostle Paul. So we ought to continue to pray for Andrew and his wife Noreen and not lose heart. Okay? Yes and amen? Amen. Back to Caesarea. The next governor, Festus, was another indecisive Roman governor. You know, all of these Roman governors, they all kind of fit the mold of Pontius Pilate. They were indecisive. The only concern they had was to keep the peace by keeping the Jewish power structure happy so that there wouldn't be a riot. And so, and so Festus suggested that Paul be tried in Jerusalem, send him back to Jerusalem, which surely would have resulted in Paul's death there. So at that point, Paul, a Roman citizen, appealed to Caesar. Acts chapter 25. I appeal to Caesar. And Governor Festus granted his request. It got Paul off of his docket. That was fine with him. So finally, after more than two years stuck in prison in Caesarea, Paul was off to Rome. But it was not an easy journey. The account of the dangerous voyage was found in Acts chapters 27 and 28. It took more than six months. They encountered ill winds, a violent storm. They were shipwrecked and forced to abandon ship and take refuge on the island of Malta, where Paul was bitten by a viper, though it did him no harm. They were there for three months, during which time Paul preached the gospel and ministered to the pagan people there. And then finally, they arrived in Rome. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul arrived as a prisoner. Now you think about it. Romans 15, verses 24 and 28. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. I will leave for Spain by way of you. But the book of Acts comes to its conclusion in Acts 28, telling us that Paul 
remained in Rome under house arrest for two whole years at his own expense. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. In passing. Paul was in Rome under house arrest for two whole years. And perhaps more. Okay, let's, 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 just revol- re- 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 let's, let's just review where we've been. We've been from Corinth to Jerusalem where he was beaten and arrested and almost flogged and almost killed to Rome. Well, no, no, not until after two years in prison in Caesarea to Spain. Well, no, no, not until at least after two years in prison in Rome. Many of us here today, most of us, including myself, know what it's like not to have things go exactly as we had planned. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul himself knew what that was like, and how did he handle it? I said earlier that a passage such as Romans 15, 14 through 33 is is one that we might often speed read and fly over because it, it might not appear on the surface to have any theological doctrine, ethical instruction, or spiritual application for our lives. Brothers and sisters, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, written for our instruction. The book of Acts concludes with Paul not on his way to Spain but under house arrest for two whole years and by the way it concludes on a very high and positive and triumphant note. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul didn't plan to be in prison for two years in Rome, but God planned it. So Paul just kept doing what he was called to do, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Rome rather than in Spain. And that's not all that the Apostle Paul did during those two years in Rome. He also wrote the letters to the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. Now the next time you read the letter to the Philippians, you know, the letter of joy, Remember the story of Paul's life and his plans that did not come to pass the way he hoped that they would. And meditate on this verse. Don't fly over this verse, Philippians 1.12, written from prison in Rome. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's it. And that was Paul's passion and vision in life. The advancement of the gospel. And it was being fulfilled in Rome. Not in Spain. It was being fulfilled in Rome by by means of his imprisonment. And and he he goes on to say in Philippians chapter 1, quote, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
He's witnessing to the guards around him, to the Roman slaves who do their work around him. They're watching as the Christians in Rome come and share times of fellowship and prayer with Paul and and receive instruction from him. And they're probably overhearing what he says to them and overhearing the prayers that they pray together. They're watching this imprisoned man and they see a man filled with the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. They're watching a man in chains who is the most free man they've ever seen. And Paul concludes his letter to the Philippians with these wonderful words. You need to highlight this. Philippians 4.22. Next to the last sentence. All the saints greet you. All the saints, all the believers greet you. Especially those of Caesar's household. He was converting them right there in that prison. The soldiers, the slaves, they were coming to Christ by means of his imprisonment. And you know what else? You know what there's not a hint of in Paul's letters written from his prison in Rome? There he sits with his plans foiled or at least put on indefinite hold. You know what there's no trace of in any of his letters? There's no trace of self-pity. There's no, why me? I wanted to do such great things for God. Why me? Mm -mm. You know what else there's not a trace of? There's no questioning of God. There's no questioning of God. There's no anger at God. Not a hint. There's no complaint against God. There's no blaming of God. And there's no trace, not a hint of despair. It's from this imprisonment in Rome. I hope to see you in passing on my way to Spain. It's from this two-year imprisonment in Rome that Paul wrote to the Philippians some of your favorite memory verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. (laughs) This is what the Apostle Paul wrote while imprisoned for two years in Rome. The man who, you know, the man who just three or four years earlier had written to the Christians in Rome saying, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, by the way, by the way, 
There is documentary evidence from outside the New Testament that Paul did evidently make it to Spain. Um, We have no absolutely conclusive evidence of that, but it seems to be the case that he did. And there's a general consensus among um, a goodly number of scholars that he, he was released from this imprisonment. There's documentary evidence out, outside of the New Testament that he did go to Spain and preach the gospel. And afterward, he was again arrested and imprisoned in Rome again, during which time he wrote his second letter to Timothy, and during that time was beheaded under Nero's persecution in about 67 A.D. Paul was never concerned about dying. To die is gain. It's better to depart and be with Christ, he wrote to the Philippians. Paul was never concerned about dying. His his only concern was about dying in a way that brought honor and glory to Jesus Christ. His only concern was to live for the glory of God and to die for the glory of God. Everything else is just details. Many of us here today, most of us, including myself, have lived long enough to know what it's like not to have things go exactly as we had planned. Now, brothers and sisters, it's not about us. It's not about our plans. It's about Jesus Christ, and it's about His plans. It's about the advance of the gospel and the glory of God. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Our only concern is to fulfill our calling to live and to die as disciples of Jesus Christ for his glory wherever he leads, whatever he decrees, and however he rules in our lives. And so... As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, may the peace of God be with you all. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your sovereign rule over the world and over our lives. We thank you that we are in your hand in all places and in all times. Grant us grace to believe your word of assurance, your word of comfort, and your word of power. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. Reciting responsively from the Heidelberg Catechism, number one, this is one of our historic Reformed catechisms, which asks... What is your only comfort, Christian? What is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. 
Indeed, all things must work together to fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for him. Amen. Oh.